0: It is Resurrection Sunday. We are excited about the empty tomb. Let's read it together. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And went home marveling at what had happened. It's Sunday morning. The women go to the tomb. They find that Jesus' body's not there, and they remember that he had to die on the cross, and three days later, rise again. And Peter runs to the tomb, and it says there in verse 12, when he went in and saw the linen cloths by themselves, he went home marveling at what he saw. Marveling. That word means to be amazed, to be in awe, to wonder, to worship. I think it was graphically depicted in our video. I don't know how Peter did it, but maybe he raised his hands in joy. And here's the question that I have for you this morning. This resurrection Sunday morning, do you marvel at the empty tomb? Are you in awe of the empty tomb? Or has the idea that Christ has been raised from the dead, has it become kind of stale to you? It doesn't resonate with you anymore. It doesn't get you excited. Maybe you've lost that marveling, no longer moves you. Which brings us to a very important question this Easter Sunday. Here's the question for this morning. It's very simple. Why is the resurrection important to you personally? Why is it important? What's the significance of it? And more importantly, how does it impact you here this morning personally? It's a historic reality. There's a guy that's been interacting with me from Holland. He's an atheist from Holland, I just found out this morning. And I posted something yesterday on Twitter, and he's been interacting with me on Twitter asking me how I know Jesus rose from the dead, and it's not a myth. And I quoted to him the passage we're going to look at, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And then right before I got up to preach, he's asked me another question. Who are these 500 people? And so there are people out there that still doubt the validity of the resurrection. But listen to what the words of Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3-7. through 7. Russell read this earlier. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter. Then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. It's a historical, reliable fact that Jesus did indeed rise from the grave. And it's very important. Paul says it's the most important thing. And we often talk about the cross, and we should. We should sing about the cross. We should talk about the cross. It was there on the cross that that Christ died for our sins, but that's only half the gospel. If we don't have the resurrection from the grave, we only have half the gospel because the resurrection is God's stamp of approval that Christ had finished the work on the cross. It would be incomplete without the resurrection. So what I want to do this morning is I just want us to look at three reasons or three important truths why the resurrection is important. Why it's significant to you personally. And we're going to kind of look at these from the past, from the present, and from the future. So so what happened to you in the past? What's happening to you right now in the present? And what's going to happen to you in the future? So let's look at these together. Here's the first thing that I want you to understand this morning about why the resurrection is important to you personally. Here's, Here's the first thing. By his resurrection... Jesus overcame sin, death, and the devil to ensure your right standing before God. Your right standing before God. You see, on the cross, Jesus took the penalty for your sin. He died in in your place on the cross. He took the curse. He took the sin. And He cried out, It is finished. He shed his blood. It was, it was his mission to come and die on the cross for our sins and shed his blood, and the debt's been paid. Ephesians 1.7 says this. In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. The cross is important. It was there that Christ died in our place. It was there that the penalty was paid. It was there that that we were forgiven. It was there that Christ took all of God's justice against our sin. But the resurrection is God's stamp of approval on the fact that Jesus did, in fact, complete the mission. That it was a finished deal. And so here's the truth. Without the resurrection from Jesus from the grave, there would be no victory over sin, there would be no victory over death, and there would be no victory over the devil. Because here's the issue. If Christ had not burst forth from the grave, you would still be in your sins, you would be guilty, and your faith would be useless. If there's no resurrection, we should just all pack up and go home and never come back to church one more time. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Your faith is futile. That means worthless, fruitless. Your your faith doesn't mean anything if Christ didn't rise from the grave. But secondly, he says if Christ didn't rise from the grave, you're still in your sins. And the way that's constructed in the original language means you're continually in your sins. Those sins keep piling up one on top of the other. And so without the resurrection, you and I would be guilty. We would be condemned. We would have a useless faith. And if we were to stand before God on the day of judgment, and He were to look at our lives, what would it mean without the resurrection? It would mean that we would be guilty. We would be condemned. We would not be able to stand. We'd be hopeless. We would have to endure hell. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 130, verse 3. The psalmist asks the question If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? What's the answer? Nobody. If God were to keep a record of every single one of our sins, the answer is that none of us would be able to stand before his bar of justice. We'd all be guilty. We'd all be condemned. We'd all be hopeless. And so if Jesus did not rise from the grave, we'd still be in our sins. We'd still be guilty. We'd still be hopeless. So here's a question. What must you and I do to be forgiven? How can we have a right standing with this holy God? How can you and I know for certain that we're forgiven of our sins? How how does it happen? How do we know? Here's what's got to happen to you. God is... Has to declare you not guilty. Now, how does God declare you not guilty if you're guilty? Every single one of us here has sinned. Every single one of us is guilty. How can God, the holy God who created all things, who's perfect, how can He look down upon our lives and say, not guilty, when we're guilty? How how can He do that? The only way He can do that is if an exchange takes place, the great exchange. I've given this illustration many times before, but I think it it, it helps illustrate this, okay? So you've probably heard this a thousand times, but let me just say it again. God is the judge of the universe, and he looks down upon your life. And if God is to look down upon your life, and let's pretend like your life is a bank account, okay? Your your life is a bank account. God, the judge, looks down upon your life. What's he going to see? He's going to see a negative gazillion balance. That's a word we make up, gazillion dollars. It's a huge negative, a huge debt. God looks down upon your life, and there's this huge debt of sin. There's this huge negative. You can't get yourself out of debt. So what happens? By faith, when you believe in Jesus, every single one of your sins, past, present, and future, is taken out of your account, and it's put over into Jesus' account. So all your sins have been taken out of your account, and they've been put on Jesus. So so now your life is at zero, which is good, no debt, but you're at zero. Is zero going to get you anywhere? If you're going to go buy something with zero dollars, that's not going to get you anywhere, is it? You need a positive balance. Okay, here's what happens the other way. When you believe in Jesus, his perfect record, his perfect righteousness, his perfect standing gets you credited to you and guess what happens when God now looks down upon your life what does he see does he see you in all of your debt does he see you in all of your sin no he sees you as Christ in Christ's record and based upon that what can God do God can make a declaration the judge of the universe can make a declaration he can say not guilty not guilty and let me just tell you this That entire exchange would not even be possible without the resurrection. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 4, 24 through 25. It will be counted. It will be credited. This this righteousness from Christ will be credited or counted to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus from the dead, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He was delivered up, the cross. He was raised up, the resurrection. But what was he raised up for? Our justification. That's just what I told you. Our right standing with God. The fact that we're not guilty, that's all possible because Jesus was raised from the dead. Martin Luther gave this interesting illustration about what this is like. I guess in Germany, back in the 1500s, they had a bunch of dunghills across Germany. A bunch of manure piles. Okay, Wonderful thought, right? Just think about a manure pile for a moment. Stinky, sick, gross, stays out in the sun long. It's not going to be a pretty picture. But here's what happens, he says. That's your life. Your life is like a stinking pile of manure. Well, th- thanks a lot, Martin Luther. That, that's really awesome. But here's what happens. When it snows and the snow covers that manure pile, what does it look like? It's white. It's pristine. It's clean. Now, there's still a manure pile under there, but what do you see? Do you see a manure pile, or do you see a white-driven snow? That's what God looks down upon our life. Instead of seeing us as piles of manure because of our sin, God looks down upon us and sees the white, sees the righteousness, sees the blood of Christ covering us, and when God looks down, he can say, not guilty. You're in the right standing, and it's all because of Christ and his resurrection. This has grave implications for you this morning. Are you guilty? Have your sins piled up one upon another to where you know if you were to stand before God on the day of judgment, you couldn't stand because you're guilty. If God kept a record of your sins, you would be guilty. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know, I really hope God grades on a curve. Because there's other people that are not you know worse than me and there's a few people that are better i'm kind of in the middle so there's the bell curve and and god will let me in or maybe you're thinking you know what i've done a lot of good deeds and my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds on the proverbial scales and so my good deeds are outweighing my bad deeds god will look at my good deeds and he'll let me into heaven but can i just tell you something even the good things that you do are still sinful Yes, the good things that you do are still sinful. Isaiah 64, 6. We've all become one like who is one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Here's the example. Let me give you an example. How many of you children here this morning... Really love it when your parents tell you to go clean your room. How many of you, like, stand up and volunteer? That's so awesome, Mom and Dad. I'm glad you asked me to clean my room. That's what I really want to do. Anybody? I'm seeing the kids shaking their heads. No. But let me ask you a question, kids. Can you go clean your room and do the good deed, but the entire time be cussing under your breath to your parents because they asked you to do it? You can do a good deed in cleaning your room, but have a terrible attitude. And guess what? That's sin. You can do a good deed with a bad attitude. Or let's just talk talk about adults here. Let's say that your employer comes to you and says, you made a mistake, you're going to have to fix some things, you're going to have to work some extra hours because you made a mistake. And you can think to yourself, I really don't want to do this. And you can do the good deed of making sure that you, you get the information right and you do the right thing, but the entire time you can be doing it with a bad attitude. You can also be cussing your employer under your breath. You can do a good deed with a really bad attitude. And see, here's the problem in our culture. We don't understand sin. Here's how we've defined sin in our culture. It's those bad things that people do that aren't like me. Those outward actions that are really, really bad. We don't talk about sin being of the heart. Listen to what Jesus says about the heart. In Matthew 5, 27 through 28, You've heard that it was said, Jesus says, You shall not commit adultery. Outward action. Big sin, right? Adultery. Everybody agree? Adultery is a big sin. But notice what he says. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You can commit the outward act of adultery, that's bad. Or you can commit adultery in your heart. James says it this way in James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable to all of it. What does it mean? It means this. If you perfectly obey nine of the Ten Commandments, and you just break one, you're guilty of breaking all of them. And that makes you guilty before God. And so the only way that you can have a right standing with God, the only way that you can have the penalty of sin canceled, the penalty of sin, the penalty of death, the penalty that the devil throws against you, the only way that you can have that taken care of is by trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And when you do that, that great exchange happens to where he declares you not guilty. And none of that would happen unless the resurrection took place. The Bible calls this justification by faith alone. So that addresses our past. 2,000 years ago, on the cross, Jesus died and he rose again. And when you believe in Jesus, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, you can have the assurance that you will have a right standing with the Holy God. He can declare you not guilty if you're guilty. You can go from being guilty to being declared not guilty because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But let's talk about the present. What are the implications for you right now today? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if that's already happened to you, if you've trusted Christ for salvation, if you've been declared not guilty, here's the reality of what's happening to you right now in the present. Here's the second thing, the second implication, the second reason why the resurrection is important. Here it is. By his resurrection, Jesus powerfully raises you to new life to ensure your new identity in Christ. Let me explain what I mean by that. You see, in justification that we just talked about, the penalty of sin is canceled. But you also need the power of sin canceled. You are dead in sin without Jesus. You are under the bondage of sin. You're under the dominion of sin. You, 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 are, you are a sinful person to the core, and you need to experience a resurrection you need to be born again notice to what peter says about being made new about being made born again about having this new identity 1 peter chapter 1 verse 3 blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ according to his great mercy he's caused us to be born again to have this new identity to have this new heart to a living hope how through the resurrection Of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the only way that you're born again, the only way that you have this new identity, the only way that you have this new life is because Christ's resurrection. Now now let me just kind of tell you what Paul says here. In Romans chapter six, Paul explains what it means to to live the resurrected life. You may never have heard of that, that, that you live the resurrected life. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter six. In verses 4-7, through he says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. If you're a Christian this morning, this has already happened to you. It's not something you have to hope for. It's not something you have to wait for. It's happened. So let me explain to you what Paul says here. Just as Jesus physically died on the cross, he's saying you and I have spiritually died. We've died to our old self. And just as Jesus was physically buried, our old life was buried. And just as Jesus was physically raised from the dead, Paul is saying we now have been spiritually raised from the dead. So think about the picture. What Paul's saying, and this is true for every single person here who is a Christian, this has already happened to you. Your old life is dead, it's gone, it's been buried, it's been done away with, and you've been raised to new life. You have a new identity. You have a new heart. You've been born again. You have been spiritually resurrected. You have a new intimate relationship with Christ. And what Paul's saying is that every single person who's a Christian has experienced this. You've experienced the death. You've experienced the burial. You've experienced the resurrection just like Christ did. Physically, you've experienced it spiritually. Your old life is dead. Behold, you walk in newness of life. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm sorry, chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, so we were dead, we were spiritually dead, we were lifeless, we were corpses, we were rotting, stinking piles of manure, dead. What has God done? He has made us alive together with Christ By grace you've been saved, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The moment that God saved you, the chains came off. The old life was dead. You died to your old life. You died to sin. You died to the power of sin. You died to the power of the devil. You died, and you've been raised to new life. And that's all possible because of the resurrection of Christ, you're a brand new person. If you're in Christ, you have a brand new resurrected identity. You are spiritually walking around as a resurrected person. The old is gone; the new has come. I'm reminded of that scene in Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, you probably won't get into heaven. But that's all right. You need to read it. Um, that's what Charles Spurgeon said. Okay, so I'm just joking. If you've never read it, don't don't worry. Don't 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 worry. Don't don't think I'm heretical. But but. In the scene in Pilgrim's Progress, if you know anything about Pilgrim's Progress, Christian's the main character. He's got this huge backpack of sin. This huge backpack of sin and guilt, it's weighing him down. He's loaded down with it. He tries to go through the swamp and the swamp almost basically drowns him and he's just overcome with guilt, he's overcome with sin and then he gets to the foot of the cross. And as he kneels at the foot of the cross and he looks up at the cross, something amazing happens. The backpack miraculously comes off his back. The guilt comes off his back and it rolls down the hill. And the earth opens up and it swallows his sin, never to be seen anymore. And John Bunyan says, as he's writing Pilgrim's process, Progress, that springs of tears started coming out of Christian's eyes when he realized that his guilt had been taken, taken rid of. He had been resurrected to new life you see here's the reality every single one of us here was at one time spiritually dead spiritually separated from God spiritually in slavery enslaved in bondage and when you trusted Christ for salvation he took that old self that sinful self that enslaved self that self that was in bondage to sin and Satan and he buried that self never to be seen again, just like the earth swallowing it up, and he raised you to new life. So if you're a Christian here this morning, you are living the resurrected life, the new life. You're to walk in newness of life. And that's not something you hope for. It's not something like, I hope this has happened to me. No, it has happened to you. Paul says it's happened to you. You just need to live in the freedom of that. Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 1, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So here's how this gives you hope. Not only can you have the hope that you have a right standing before God, but you can have the hope that, listen... I've got an intimate relationship with Christ where I'm a new person. I have a new identity. I, I, I've been born again. I've been made new. I've, I've got this new resurrected life that God has given me, and I can enjoy that in the present right now, living for Christ, experiencing the joy of my salvation, living not in chains, not in shackles, but living as a resurrected person spiritually because of Christ's physical resurrection. That's, that's the, pa- that, the present tense. So we've seen the past... At one point in time, when you trusted Christ for salvation, you were declared not guilty. That's the past. The present, you can experience the resurrected life right now, the newness of life, the new identity, but there's also a future reality that hasn't happened yet, but is promised to every single person who is a Christian. What's the future implication of the resurrection? This is not possible without the resurrection of Jesus. What's the future? Here's the future. Number three. By his resurrection, Jesus will raise you to new life at his return to ensure your eternal life in heaven. Do you realize that you're going to get a brand new body? Praise the Lord. In a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, when Christ comes back, he promises to transform these bodies and give us a resurrected body you know God did not create Adam and Eve as souls floating around in the garden he created us with bodies and the full salvation of a person is not a salvation of their soul it's a salvation of the entire person soul and body we are going to get a brand new body when Jesus comes back All the bodies of dead believers who are in the grave will be raised to new life and get their new bodies. Those of us who are still alive, we will be transformed, we'll be caught up, and we're going to have a body just like Jesus' body. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6.14. God raised the Lord, and He will also raise us up by His power. Think about the power that God used to raise Jesus from the grave. Huge power. That same power God is going to exercise when He raises us from the grave. Jesus' resurrection is a precursor, it's a forerunner of what that's going to be. 1 Corinthians 15 51 through 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised and perishable, and we shall all be changed. Does that not give you hope this Easter? You're no longer going to have to endure being tired, sore, afraid, no more tears, no more crying, no more sickness, no more cancer, no more leukemia, no more colds, flus, aches, and pains no more anguish in your body one day because of the resurrection of christ you too will receive a resurrected body just like his and it puts into perspective the truth of where our true home is do you realize this is not your home please do not put down roots on planet earth it's not your home if you're in love with this world you're in love with the wrong place this is not our home listen to what paul says in philippians 3:20 20 and 21 But our citizenship is where? In heaven. And from it, heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Where's our citizenship? It's in heaven. And what is Jesus going to do as we wait for him to come back? He's going to come and and by his power transform our lowly bodies. How many of you guys here have a lowly body? Painful, arthritic, bruised bodies that are susceptible to disease and and sickness and and cancer and death. You know, there's one statistic that I can absolutely, without a doubt, tell you is 100% true. 100% out of 100% of the times, this will happen. You want to know what it is? You will die. You will die. That's the number one statistic that cannot be refuted. But you will get a new body at the resurrection of the dead, all because Jesus Christ was the first one to rise from the dead. And as you wait in anticipation for the return of Christ to take you home, you can joyfully experience the hope of what it means to know that that this is not your home. Here's the problem I think a lot of Christians have. Maybe this defines you. I I don't know. There's a lot of Christians that think, you know what? I'm really going to be excited on the day that Jesus returns. And on that day, I'm going to be excited to see him. But for now, I'm going to live however I want because that day's way long off. I'm going to live however I want. I know he's coming back someday, and that's going to be a great day. We sing the song, Glorious Day. He's going to come back. That's going to be awesome. But I just kind of want to live how I want to live right now. I'll be excited when Jesus comes back, but for right now, he's not that exciting. It's not the way it works. If you're not excited about Jesus right now, what makes you think you're going to be excited when he comes back? Here's the reality. He will come back one day. We don't know when he will come back, but he will come back. The Bible promises the return of Christ. And when he returns a second time, he's going not to come as Savior. He's already done that. He's going to return as judge. He's going to judge the living and the dead. Now, how should you respond to the fact that Jesus will return as judge listen to what paul did when paul preached a sermon to some people in athens listen to what paul said in acts chapter 17 verses 30 through 31 paul says this the times of ignorance god overlooked but now he commands all people everywhere to repent why because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. How? By a man he's appointed. And how do we know who this man is? Of this he's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. There's a command to repent. What does it mean to repent? Repent means to turn. To hate your sin. To mourn your sin, to so be grieved over your life of sin that you turn from that sin and you turn toward Christ in faith. You turn from the sin and you turn toward faith in Christ. And and, and all people everywhere are commanded to do that. Why? Because there's going to come a day, Paul says, when the judge is going to come back and judge you. How do we know who this judge is? He's been raised from the dead. That's the proof. The risen Christ will come back as the judge. Don't wait until the day of judgment to get right with God. It'll be too late. It will be too late on the day of judgment. You need to repent and believe in Jesus Christ today. Today. So what's the significance of the resurrection for you personally? In the past, Jesus conquered sin, death, and the devil to ensure your right standing with God. Here's the question for you Do you want to have a right standing with God? If you do, then repent and believe in Jesus today. What about the present? In the present, Jesus has raised you to new life so you can experience this new life in Christ. Do you want to experience a brand new identity in Christ? Do you want to be raised from spiritual death to spiritual life? If you want that, then repent of your sins and believe in Jesus today. What's Jesus going to do in the future? He's going to come back as the judge. And what's he going to do? He's going to raise us to new life, and we're all going to experience a brand new transformed body. Do you want a new body at the end of the age? Do you want to be transformed? Then repent and believe in Jesus today. We should all be like Peter, who, when he went to that empty tomb, he marveled. He marveled. Would we all, on this Easter Sunday, 2016 kneel at the empty tomb? Worship Christ for the empty tomb. Worship a Savior who's conquered the death, conquered sin, conquered the devil, has raised us to new life, who's given us a right standing with God, who will one day come back and judge the living and the dead. Would we all marvel at the empty tomb? And let me just give one final warning. Today, if you hear his voice, and you have, do not harden your heart. I will say this to you because I may never see you again because the Lord may come back. We don't know. But here's the truth. The word of God has been preached to you. You are accountable now for how you received that word. And when you walk out of this place, having heard the word of God, you're now accountable. You can't walk out of here saying, "I, I didn't know any of this stuff. And the question is, are you ready on that final day When the resurrected judge comes back, will you have repented of your sin and have a right standing with God? Or will it be too late? What better day than Easter Sunday 2016 than to make sure it's right? And how do you do that? You repent and you believe and you trust in Christ. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that if you've never done that before. If you've never ever come to that point in your life where you've realized that you're a sinner, that, you're, that you know you're guilty before God, if God were to keep a record of your sins, you couldn't stand. You need to be in the right. What's the answer? You repent and believe in Jesus. You trust in Christ alone to save you. And when you do that, he promises to take your sins and to declare you not guilty, to raise you to spiritual life with a new identity and to give you the promise of eternal life one day with a new body glorified like Jesus. If you've never done that before, don't harden your heart today. Listen to the voice of Jesus and surrender to him. Would you spend some time in prayer silently before the Lord? We're thankful that the resurrection of Jesus is a historical reality. It's, it's undisputable. And Lord, my prayer for every single person in this room is that they would walk out of this place knowing for certain they have a right standing with you, that their sins have been forgiven, their guilt's been taken away. That they have this new life in Christ, this resurrected life, this this spiritual new identity. And that they walk out of this place having the assurance that when you come back as the judge, as the resurrected judge, they're ready to meet you. They're ready to receive their brand new bodies. They're ready for heaven because they've repented and believed in you, Jesus. Would every single one of us in this room walk out of this place with the assurance that we know that's true for us personally? Not for the person next to us, Lord, but for us personally. That we would nail it down. That we would truly come to that point where we repent and believe. That we're honest. And that we have the assurance that our sins have been forgiven. Lord, will we all marvel? Would we all wonder? Would we all worship You, because of the empty tomb. Lord, would the resurrection ever become old hat? Would it never become boring? Would it always captivate us? Would it always mesmerize us? Would it always make us worship? Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And we ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen.